0: What's up, guys? It's Ash Bennington. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Before we bring our guests in, I want to talk about an exciting initiative at Real Vision. The mint for Season 2 of the Real Vision Collective is happening right now. The aim of the RV Collective is to bring all your favorite NFT communities together while giving you the knowledge you need to navigate Web3. Season 2 is the next step in this journey. To create this collection, we've pulled artwork from nine of the most significant CCO projects out there and transformed them into three unique mashups. If you want to help us building, keep building the super community of NFTs, head over to realvision.com slash collective. That's realvision.com forward slash collective to learn more and to mint your own season two NFTs. With that said, let's bring in our guest. Chi Nadi, co-founder and CEO of Mara. Chi, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, uh, Ash, it's good to see you. And thanks for having us on the show. We really appreciate the opportunity to share our our story from Africa.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Let's talk a little bit more generally. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and of course, about the current state of play of blockchain in Africa
1: sure okay as background myself um i was i've been raised all over the world you're a classic global citizen um started off young life in nigeria um left around seven years old and went to canada which was a shock as you can imagine um but as anybody winters were not from culture oh my god the first time i ran into the snow i thought it was going to be fun and i quickly learned that snow meant shoveling driveways and so not fun you know um and then we moved to uh moved to the u.s when i was 13 uh and then uh, that's where i was we stayed most of my adult life now because i'm from a specific tribe in nigeria called the Igbo, that um nigerians who are listening will know we are famous for going home to our village every single year uh it's it actually is something that came from the uh, Nigerian civil war, the Biafran war, where our tribe was almost um, almost uh, uh, exterminated. Actually, about a third of our tribe died at that time, and our villages are what saved us. The reason why I say that is because growing up in Canada, we were in Nigeria every single Christmas and every single summer, uh, so that kept me very, very close to growing up there. And so when I hit my twenties uh, in the two thousand, the late two thousand ten. Sorry, late 2000s, late 2010, I actually moved back to Nigeria. Um, and then I spent the whole of last decade splitting my time between Nigeria and, and, the, and California. And I share that for a reason because it allowed me to be very early in crypto or the blockchain space. And when I say very early, I mean the crypto plus philosophical anarchist days of the early 2010, 2011. Twelve, thirteen, right. where it was really about the philosophy of blockchain, right? And a lot of my friends were actually uh, libertarians in the U.S., so deep in that world. But at the same time, I was transplanting myself to Nigeria, not just Nigeria, but um, my home, my homeland, which is a southeastern part of Nigeria. Uh, and so I was seeing this revolutionary technology that uh, I, be- I immediately recognized as a leapfrog technology for Africa. Because right. I immediately understood that it could be utilized to um, to reorganize society and build a, build social infrastructure in society.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm fascinated by one word that you just said there in particular, and that's the word leapfrog. Uh, This is one of the most interesting things about the African continent to me is that the ability, for example, of the the just extraordinary adoption of mobile phone technology uh, and peer-to-peer style networks, it would seem to be a very much a natural fit for blockchain, uh, and, and particularly because you don't have a lot of the legacy incumbents in the space to block you uh, as you might have somewhere else in the world. Talk a little bit about that aspect of it. I find that incredibly fascinating.
1: I mean, it's, I, I remember it's so interesting because, um, so I'm from Nigeria specifically, and I've watched Nigeria leaf frogs. It's like, I remember when we did have some, a modicum of dial-up, uh, or a modicum of, um, of, uh, of uh, it's actually called Nitel, but it was not very good. And then suddenly we just switched and everybody was on mobile. And that's what everybody was doing. And that's how we actually received an internet for the first time. And when I think about blockchain as a leapfrog technology, I really think it's so much more than it just as a technology. Because in Africa, we find ourselves at this place where we haven't set down our infrastructure yet. We're just now set, setting up our trade infrastructure, our financial infrastructure. Um, we're just now setting out down our healthcare infrastructure, our transportation infrastructure. And that's what I really saw with blockchain technology. It's oper- it, it is as a, a piece of technology that could reform how humans interact with each other. And so many of the things that are the ills of Africa are actually remnants of last century and are actually not really of our own doing meaning country lines being drawn by other countries and that sort of thing. And so one of the things that I really saw that would be really exciting, that's really exciting for Africa, is that blockchain creates an opportunity to create currencies and assets for the bottom of the economic pyramid. Now, if you really think about that, no matter where you live in the world, the top of the economic pyramid has lots of assets to hold value in. But the bottom of the economic pyramid doesn't. In fact, I can tell you what, other than like fiat currency, proprietary fiat currency, the number one currency all across Africa is phone credit. Right. And that's, that's new. That only has existed in the last, uh, in the last you know, 20, 25 years. And so whether it's um, tokens representing blockchains or tokens representing uh, protocols, it creates an opportunity for us to create value, African value. And trade amongst ourselves. And that is illuminating when you're talking about a society where, especially in Nigeria, 70% of the population is under the age of 30. Yeah. So you also have a society that's very malleable and can adopt new things. Um, and so just quickly to go back to what we mentioned about leapfrogging, um text has been a, a huge step forward. WhatsApp, WhatsApp has been a huge step forward. Just to take it back to you know, the work we were doing in Nigeria, we initially started, I remember in 2012-2013, I was working uh, through my nonprofit and a group of other nonprofits, and we went and taught one uh, member in a rural community to use Facebook and WhatsApp. And this is 2012-2013, so it was actually novel at that time. And this is an area that receives an incredible amount of oil spills, And because of that WhatsApp group and putting people from Shell on that WhatsApp group, One village won $83 million from Shell. And showing like how just a layer of technology shortens the time, it shortens the spill response times from a year and a half to three weeks. And that's how technology can really impact the fabric of society. And that's why we really get excited about blockchain technology in Africa. It's about creating assets, African value, but also Africans being able to interact with the rest of the world and be economically included. And that's why it's lead crop technology.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned those incredibly favorable demographics, 70% uh, of the population being under 30. I believe that I was reading uh, last night that the uh, the either the median or the mean age in Nigeria, is like, it's like 18 years old. Yeah. That's actually why
1: I went back. That's actually the main reason. So as a backstory, my grandfather... Uh, was mayor of the largest city in Nigeria when it started. He had 33 kids. So I have 172 cousins. And I'm one of the older cohort of the cousins. And I just looked, it's 2010, I just looked at our demographic numbers and realized that the entire population of the country were the age of my younger cousins. And, (laughs) And the people running the country are in their 70s and 80s. And I just thought to myself, who's at the wheel here? You know, what's going to happen over this, over this century as Nigeria explodes. But when you've got a young, very malleable society, you can adopt new technologies, you can adopt new practices. The question is, can we make sure that that innovation actually takes forward? And that's, I think, something that we've been all struggling with with blockchain. Uh, But I truly believe that Africa will actually show the whole entire industry the way forward this decade, actually. Let me just quickly say one thing. When I first got into crypto, one of the things that dawned on me, I thought was so strange was, okay, this technology, Bitcoin, disintermediates or allows you not to deal with weak intermediaries. But inherently, it really only thrives in a place where electricity is cheap, which is a signal of having good infrastructure, which means you have somewhat uh, strong intermediaries culture or countries like Nigeria, we have a, a lot of weak intermediaries, you have almost no power. Nigeria produces as much power as the city of Columbus, Ohio. And I realized that that was a poison pill in the technology, in our industry. And we've just experienced, what, almost 14 years of just sheer speculation, which is just, you know, bringing together cheap money and a burgeoning new technology, but not a lot of use cases, not a lot of problems being solved. And that's what really attracted me to blockchain, was living half of my life in America and half of it in Africa, in Nigeria, and seeing all the problems that could be solved. And so I think this this decade, now that everybody has got a certain level of education, um, which is absolutely key about smart contracts and blockchain technology, I think we'll start to see the productive era of, of our industry.
0: Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. This episode is
1: brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive
0: as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, you said another key word there for me, which is infrastructure. Before we start talking about the the blockchain infrastructure uh, in Nigeria, talk a little bit about the mobile phone infrastructure in Nigeria. Uh, what kind of penetrance does it have? Uh, what is the sort of demography of it uh, for folks, uh, for example? Uh, you know, under thirty, uh, and how does it look? Sort of, is it something that working people have access to almost universally? Because, in my understanding, uh, mobile phones are really at the at the very core, uh, particularly for young people in Nigeria, of their ability to communicate and connect, as they are uh, here in the United States and elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I believe mobile phone penetration, and I say so sorry, smartphone penetration, sits at seventy percent. But it's, here's an interesting statistic, in some. Records, mobile, mobile phone penetration will sit at like 130%. And you're wondering, why is that the case? Well, that's because people have more, more than one phone. And the right. reason why they have more than one phone is because one network isn't working as well as the other network isn't working. And so that's one of the things that we saw in the last decade was that widespread uh, mobile phone adoption take place and smartphone adoption, and then 3G and 4G also blanketing like in the con- uh, the country Nigeria, I'm talking about Nigeria specifically. Right. And that ushers in the right type of infrastructure for us to start building assets and actually living and building in that digital world.
0: so So let's talk a little bit. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the idea of mobile minutes being a valuable form of currency throughout Africa. Talk a little bit about uh, the payment infrastructure, the current payment infrastructure on mobile phones uh, in Nigeria. You know, if you and I, for example, uh, make a bet on a soccer match. Uh, do we do we pay each other via mobile phones? How does that work?
1: So, okay, so Africa is very interesting when it comes to mobile phone penetration. Uh, sorry, mobile phone adoption for payments. Uh, this is a, a little bit of alpha information as dis- the differences between the different parts of the continent. In countries where the banking infrastructure is strong, places like Nigeria and South Africa... Um, mobile money was slow to be adopted, but credit cards were very quickly adopted. So what you end up finding is actually, and this is actually just now changing in Nigeria, and I'll share a little bit more about that. But when you go to East Africa, when you go to Kenya, which was the, the, the inventor of mobile money, and you start to look at Uganda, Tanzania, and other parts of East Africa that, and other parts of Africa in general, that don't have strong uh, uh, financial services sectors, um, mobile, mobile money is dominant. I mean, mm-hmm. if you live in Kenya today, you will never use your debit card or your credit card. You will lose it. I mean, that's one I, I, uh, I was living in Kenya and uh, every time I left, I just, and I went to another part of the world, I just didn't know how to take my credit card with me when I left because I was so used to doing everything on my phone. In right. fact, I tell people, if you, if you visit Kenya or East Africa and you haven't signed up for the mobile money, um, you know whether it's M-Pesa or Airtel money, then you actually aren't living there yet because it's easier to use mobile money for me to quickly send you by text uh, M-Pesa um, than it is to do any other form of payment, bar none. Now, if you switch to Nigeria, which is really interesting, one, because of the sheer size of Nigeria, and the incumbents that existed there with the, with, the, with the financial sector. This, beginning of this year, mo, uh, payments via mobile, mobile payments, mobile money just took off. And that was really driven by decisions by the Nigerian government at the beginning of this year to start moving towards cashless. And so that's a huge moment. It's a huge moment because you're talking about, um, you're talking about mobile payments, you know, uh, bank P2P becoming now more popular and using cash. I don't know how to stress this more. Like the problem with Nigeria before, or it's kind of still, actually before the, the new administration really pushing some of these things away, was that you literally had to bring in cash, go and find someone on the street, and then be able to trade him at the black market rate for cash. And he gave you a black bag full of cash, and that's how you moved around. Um, It's one of the reasons why Mara was actually launched for Pan-Africa was uh, I I visited Kenya and I just saw how mobile savvy the entire country was. Everybody was already having the behavior of mobile modeling. I realized that digital assets is just just one layer above that that activity, that action. Um, And fortunately, large markets like Nigeria have now started moving in that direction well which really creates a very good environment for digital assets going forward
0: what's the government view uh and this sort of uh ruling uh class view i mean i i asked this question because i sort of wonder whether it's whether it's lagos or abuja or washington or uh or new york uh there's always this kind of uh question about uh what do the ruling class think of this? What do the people who run the government think about it? What do the people who run uh, the banks think about it? Is there an openness, a willingness uh, to experiment with this technology uh, and to attempt to empower people using it? You know, that's a
1: really good question. I think we're all seeing that being answered in some way with regu- this regulatory wave we're going through these next few years. And what we've seen and what we've learned is that. It really has a lot to do with the demographics of the country and the opportunistic nature of the government. What do I mean by that? For most countries, when you see crypto, you see an attack on your money, which is, you know, you know crypto is innovating on the proprietary product of, of countries. Um, but I would say for African countries, the greatest problem they have to deal with is less so, um, is not so much capital flight, but more so security and literally human flight, you know? Because our population is just exploding so much. So what's really driving, um, if you want to call it the ruling class or the powers that be, is how can this technology be used to create jobs for the youth? Because what we don't want is a youth burning down the entire country. That's a different environment than the U.S., than Asia. Um, I mean, I think back to the work we are doing in the Niger Delta. I wanted to build a smart contract platform since I learned of them in 2015. I did not make the move to do so until 2016 when I witnessed a bunch of youths riot at, at, at what the ruling class in the, in the, the community did. And it made me realize, okay, the people want something new now. And what we've seen, especially in Nigeria over the last couple of years, uh, actually the last year, is the uh, powers that be, the politicians, the ruling class, really start to listen to the youth. I mean, we just, uh, we just, uh, I mean, the current president is a minister that's 46 years old and is a tech pro. Now, that's amazing for Nigeria. We don't have ministers that young. You know, our ministers are usually much, much older. In fact, and it was a real signal to appoint a tech bro as a minister. Um, Many of the governments in Africa see technology as a way forward to be able to employ a lot of the youth. Um, And that's their main main issue. Um, And then also governments are also thinking, how can we be opportunistic and use the underlying technology as a way to build our infrastructure? whether it might be um, cross-border settlement via blockchain, uh, whether it might be B2B stablecoins, for example, uh, to allow more trade to happen between countries. That's what's really interesting about the continent is that we are just now building our infrastructure. African continental free trade area was just launched, what, five years ago. Uh, Our version of, uh, of the EU and the like basically, uh, continental trade agreements. And that's what makes it exciting to be building on chain on the continent.
0: Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Yeah, ex- extremely interesting. Talk talk a little bit about Mara, what the vision is, uh, how you're focusing, in Nigeria and then across the broader African continent, what's the vision, what's the goal line look like in your mind?
1: Uh, it all comes back to, you know, when I first came back to Nigeria to live full time, uh, early last decade. And I just remember running into this really great guy named Pachi, who was a young father, great personality, incredibly trustworthy. The key word there is trustworthy. And we spent years working together in the Niger Delta. And it took me years to find him. And it dawned on me because I was fully in my early crypto mind. I was like, Kouchy is someone that can be trusted. Uh, he's someone who's worked with uh, uh, Amnesty International, The Guardian, and all these well-known international organizations. Yet he's invisible. That was what was really driving uh, my obsession with blockchain as a leapfrog technology for Africa is that we're invisible, you know? And so uh, it's even the, the term financial inclusion is not one of my favorite terms. Uh, I prefer the term economic inclusion. And that's what Mara is about. It's about creating a, a crypto ecosystem that allows African value, African innovation to engage with the world and the world to engage with Africa. And so as you can imagine, that's not just uh, a, that's not just a wall that allows people to, for the first time, buy and sell assets, crypto assets, but it also allows them to interact with stable coins. It also will allow them to interact with tokenized assets, whether they be government bonds, government current, uh, government bonds, um, uh, stocks of a specific country. There's so many things that we take for granted or taking for granted in the West that are bringing them to Africa just creates an enormous amount of economic freedom. And then you talk about the one out, of two, one out of five or one out of 10 young person who sees a problem in their community and knows it can be solved. For example, I'll give you a really, really simple example that not many people have thought of. A lot of people listen to Afrobeats, Afrobeats music. You know, it's taking over the entire world. But what they don't realize is that a lot of the big studios in the U.S. are just coming in and just buying up African studios for cheap. And then taking the, the, those artists and then making a lot of money as they become very popular globally. And then we think, okay, is there a way? Because I know people, a lot of people also don't realize, for every Burna, for every Whiz Kid, for every Davido, there's a hundred guys just like that that are entertaining lots of people. That there's a very dense and and highly creative space. What if there was a new way to build a label that involved? Uh, <laughs> Integrating the fans into the process that involved um, sharing royalties with the fans, um, that involved creating a, a, a NFT VIP passes uh, to allow fans to leverage the young fans in Africa that you have that are 21 years old, leverage what we all have at 21, which is great taste, right? Into developing, you know, the music industry of Africa owned by Africans as well, and so I see the only gap to a whole groundswell of innovation taking off from Africa. Something missing right now is Mara, the infrastructure that we provide, and also the education we provide as well. It's bringing the infrastructure, which is the chain, the wallets, the launchpad, the ability for folks to be able to create their own projects, launch them, um, seed them to... Uh, a very large retail base of four million users as well we create that innovation within within the African ecosystem and then we invite the entire world to work to to collaborate with us on it as well and it's also about the African sorry the uh, the crypto ecosystem also engaging with Africa as well because the interest in crypto is at the highest here on the continent obviously because we've got uh, we've got most of the gen Zs in the world you know right. Fascinating. I guess you're officially one of the old guys now. Oh, I am. Oh, my goodness. You know what? I'm a gr- Listen, I always joke that Mara could only work because of me being at this... To be honest, being at this age. Because it's a weird thing in, in Nigeria, specifically. If you're not 45 with kids, you pretty much are a child. You're you're actually called a small boy, you know. Um, it's a very interesting interesting culture in that way. But it allows me to sit. Well, in we this have position. we have the
0: same thing here in the United States when you look at our our own leadership class. I mean, skewing into men and women in their in their 80s.
1: That's true. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Um, uh, another thing: the youth party in, in Nigeria, the political party, is for all candidates 50 years old and under. <laughs> it's like that's a youth party but it allows i'm, it I'm still benefit. in it you're still in it so same with it. me thank thank goodness um but just kind of being at this age cusp uh is a great benefit is because i just i really understand my young cousins that i helped raise that are like 22 24 25 but at the same time you can actually speak to the regulators the technocrats, and actually educate them, and they'll listen to you. They'll listen to you because you look like their nephew or their son. And likely their nephew and their son is also into there. And so the great thing is that African governments are at this great place where they're open to options. They're open to seeing how um, the technology evolves and can be fruitful for African society, which is much different than the rest of the world. We don't have that uh, cadre of 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds who are entrenched in the system trying to hold back the innovation Mm. that we're seeing elsewhere. That's where the the demographics work in our favor.
0: Such a fascinating conversation. We've done a number of conversations here on Real Vision uh, about blockchain technology in Africa. I always find it fascinating. Uh, in many ways, Africa seems to be on the leading edge uh, of this for all the reasons we just talked about. Uh, really fascinating stuff. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave us with?
1: I think that uh, what i really like to leave folks with is just that um, you know when technologies get formed, they, they go through that speculative phase that with blockchain. And I truly believe, you know, as we all are thinking about utility, as we all are looking at um, real world assets on chain, um, I truly believe that we're going to see the next 10, 15 years of um, a beautiful ecosystem sprout from the bottom up. Um, and the be- the, beautiful, the benefit of it is that millennials all around the world are into crypto. So they'll be able to co-invest. Partner with these young entrepreneurs on the continent. They'll be able to be part of building the future of Africa and be part of it themselves. One of the things I've always I said to myself, uh, I think it was uh, in my like in my teenage years. I said, in my lifetime, of my generation, everybody I know is going to go visit Africa, and we both know it wasn't like that before. You know, um, and I really do think that we're heading towards a a different way of seeing African people in the future, and I'll leave one statistic that's kind of controversial, and I'll leave you with it, just to kind of so we can kind of reform our heads as to what what, what the future is bringing. Uh, in 1950, for every one African there was in the world, there were two Europeans. In 2050, for every one European, there'd be four Africans. The world is fundamentally changing. Um, at a time where we're working with technologies that are fundamentally changing the way we interact with each other and govern, our, govern ourselves. So I see some I see really interesting and exciting times coming from the African continent, participating in the conversation going forward and helping build this new future that we're all moving into.
0: Fascinating stuff. And talking about participating in the conversation, I hope you come back and join us again soon. Give us more of an update. Tell us what's happening. Really, really great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Ash, and uh, take care.
0: Pleasure. That's it for today. Make sure to check out our website. You can go to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's free to sign up. Join us again tomorrow. Michael Safi from Dexterity Capital will be live on the show. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific. Noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time. Thanks for watching and for listening. Have a great afternoon, everybody. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in
1: finance.